Welcome back, my friends, to the D-Rate to Hate podcast. I am Wilt from Wiltsworld.com, and this is going to be episode 74 of the podcast. And this week, I am joined by Angel Eduardo, an incredible guest that we'll get to in just a moment. But first, we did not create the hate, but with your help, we can derate the hate. It's all about bettering the world one attitude at a time, and that's up to us as individuals. Now, what have you done today to make your life a better life? What have you done today to make the world a better place? It's up to us as individuals to make that happen. And I enjoy the fact that on this podcast, I get an opportunity to speak with great guests doing great things to make the world a better place. Angel Eduardo is one of them. Angel Eduardo is a writer, musician, photographer, and designer based in New York City. He is a staff writer and content creator for Idealist.org, as well as a columnist for the Center of Inquiry, where he writes on science, communication, skepticism, and morality. He also serves on the advisory board for the Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism. His writings have been featured in Newsweek, Arrow Magazine, Mr. Beller's Neighborhood, and the Caribbean Writer, among other print and online publications. He holds a Master's of Fine Arts in Creative Writing from CUNY Hunter College and is currently working on a book-length memoir project. To get Angel's full bio, you can check out the show notes from this episode or check out his website, angeleduardo.com. Angel is definitely a deep thinker and somebody I am very grateful for having had the opportunity to have this conversation. Let's get to it. Angel Eduardo, thank you for joining the D-Rate the Hate podcast, man. I appreciate your time. Oh, thank you very much for the invite. Yeah, so good. I, uh, I recently became familiar with you. I saw an article that you wrote in uh, Newsweek, I believe, right? Called uh, Stop Calling Me White for Having the Wrong Opinions. Yep. And, and it just, the title obviously stood out to me, uh, <laughs> to me greatly. So I read that. And uh, why don't you talk a little bit about, you know, the inspiration for that, that article? Because you talk about being called white as a pejorative uh, for not having the right opinion. So go ahead and you know, talk about the inspiration for that. Where did that come from? Uh, well, kind of two different places at once. So the first thing is just, you know, my personal experience and the experience of many people that I know and have spoken to of this sort of thing being a thing growing up. If you are a quote unquote person of color, you you may encounter this. Uh, it's, it's something that, you know, people have talked about everyone from Barack Obama to John McWhorter to Coleman Hughes to, you know, Thomas Chatterton Williams, all, all these people. Um, I've heard it from many, many people there and also from my own peers and family members, you know, my siblings, like this is, this has happened to many people. It's And it's the sort of thing of, you know, you're growing up, you're trying to figure yourself out, you're trying to have an identity, and there are all these different options for how to do that, right? And there are all these different ways people try to do that. Um, and there are easier and more difficult ways. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, you can become a skater and, you know, you know what to wear, you know what to do, you know what music to listen to, you know who to like and who not to like. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of, you know, defining yourself in the kind of negative space of all the things that you're not and all the things that you hate, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, hating the Backstreet Boys or whatever, that is part of your identity because the negation of that kind of creates something in the negative space. Right. Um, So it's, it's, it's similar to that, I think. Um, and it's something that I experienced, you know, as you can, here, I have a, a particular way of speaking that doesn't necessarily jibe with, you know, 
um, a kind of the hip hop sort of vernacular, the way of that, you know, that lilt of that sort of cultural kind of affect, um, the way people sometimes come up speaking, sometimes people affect this sort of speech. I never did. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I stood out among, you know, some of my peer groups for that. Um, and it was a particular time as well. It was the late nineties, early two thousands. I believe in the article you talk about, you know, your, your parents were immigrants. You were a first generation, first generation American and had that first generation experience. Yeah. But you were obviously a person of color, but mm-hmm. you were listening to bands like Led Zeppelin and Queen Right. Uh, and preferred that over like the Puff Daddy and the hip hop scene. So, right. so I, I suppose as a as a child, uh, or especially you know an impressionable teen at that point, you're really standing out. Yeah, I'm not really listening to what's on the radio. I'm not, you know, I'm not enjoying it. It's not my thing. I can't connect with it. I can't relate to it. And so that sets me apart. The way that I speak sets me apart. The way that I dressed set me apart. Um, you know, my parents weren't, weren't about to buy me some of those things, you know, the, you know, the, the certain clothes and, and I didn't even have the sensibility to want them until a little bit later on when I'm trying to fit in. Right. So I was this kind of square peg in multiple ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the feedback that I would get there at that time for these sorts of things, my sense of humor, my taste in music, the way that I spoke, um, you know, the fact that I, 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 uh, re- I loved reading, you know, and, and like I was into certain kinds of movies and certain sorts of TV shows and things like that. And a lot of those things, a lot of those proclivities, a lot of those sensibilities were called white. Right. Um, and it was, it was intended to be a pejorative, you know, like you can tell that that's not a cool thing, right? It was, right. They may right. as well have said like, that's lame or uncool or however you want to say it. Right. Sure. Sure. Uh, they, they called it white and it was a, a, just another way of saying not cool, but it's, right. but it had the added effect, not necessarily intended on their part, mm-hmm. but it had the added effect of kind of excising me from this in group, right? Even if the in group was, based on immutable characteristics like we're all black and brown quote unquote and we all are first generation american and we all are spanish speaking right so we have all these things in common and in the scramble to feel included and to have an identity and to have a to have a a sense of belonging my kind of instinct was you know i couldn't have articulated this at the time but my instinct was you know, you have to accept me. Like we're the same, you know, like we're, I'm Dominican, you're Dominican, you're Puerto Rican, you're Cuban. Like we're, we're all like these, we're all this group. So you have to let me in. Right. Because I I had the experience before that and throughout my school experience of not being let in by anybody. Sure. Um, And so I, you know, kind of went to like the, that, that I I ended up defaulting at that, to that point of, you know, well, well, these guys can't possibly reject me. Right. Because I I share these traits, (laughs) but you know, of course they could, because that's not all it takes, right? Like, yeah, we have those things as people that were not in common and they, they were, they were enough of a departure, these characteristics that I had they sure. were enough of a departure that it didn't work. Right. Sure. And those things were called white. So fast forward to present day, the other kind of impetus for this is that that same sort of 
gatekeeping, like an in-group sort of gatekeeping is going uh-huh. on, but it's but it's it's much more intentional and it's much more kind of pointed at thought crime. So right. And, and there's a lot more hostility now towards it. I mean, you know, yeah. I think back to my teen years when starting with like Richard Pryor and uh, Eddie Murphy and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, in the early years when they would make fun of white people back before, you know, back before everybody became offended by everything, you know, <laughs> and it wasn't necessarily a, a pejorative at that point, but it was part of their stick. It was part of their routine, you know, Yeah, make fun of, you know, talk the way that white people talk and walk the way that white people walk and, and everything else. And it was funny. I mean, it was all done in good humor and everything was cool. But, but now today, to your point, the thing to do now uh, apparently is being uh, white, you know, a, a white male Christian, I think is, is one of the worst things now you can be labeled as. well, conservative white male Christian, I think is, is one of the worst things that you can be labeled as. And, uh, and, and yeah, they do use it as a, as a pejorative and they, they do use it as a, uh, yeah. as one of those things that, you know, if you're a person of color and you don't, you're not of the right mindset or you say mm-hmm. the wrong thing, or, you know, in your case, you put out the article and, and it's written in a certain way, you know, then all of a sudden you're labeled, you're put in a box. And I talk a lot about that on the Dear 8 to 8 podcast is, mm-hmm. you know, people being labeled, people being put in a box and, right. And, so, uh, they're just pulled out of the closet and, and, you know, when, when it's convenient for whether it be the media or the politician or the, or the whoever, uh, taken taken out and, and put on a shelf when it's time for that person because they've got that label on them uh, right. to be pandered to. So yeah, it's a kind of uh, yeah, it's a it's a gatekeeping sort of mechanism, right? You're not sufficiently black, or you are a race traitor because you hold this opinion, and I think it's wrong. You know, it's kind of that's the kind of place that it's coming from. You know, and then I, I quoted in the piece, Nicole Hannah Jones had a tweet about. You know, there's a difference between being racially black and politically black. So, you know, you can kind of go all over the place with that, with interpreting that thing. Right. But the, but the, the basic argument there is that there is a black way to, to be political. Right. Mm -hmm. And, And there are black ideas. And if you don't have them, you can have all the melanin in the world, but you are not being sufficiently black to be considered, you know, politically black. Right. Right. Well, and I don't think there's any greater example than than uh, during the campaign when I can't remember who it was that he was talking to. But when uh, when Joe Biden made the comment that if you're having any trouble and I think he quoted that in the piece as well. Yeah, if, if you're having any trouble, who, who de, you know, deciding who to vote for, then you're not black as yeah. if he has the authority on on how to decide who's black and who's not. Well, it's it's just a kind of. You know, and you know, the thing is, I try to do my best to, to have a charitable point of view with these things, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think, I don't think Biden meant any harm. I think, you know, and I don't think even Nicole Hannah Jones means any harm necessarily. Like, I'm sure that she, she is, she's convinced of what she's saying and she has reasons for what she's saying. I just think that there are terrible side effects to these things, no matter mm-hmm. what, what their intentions are, right? And I think that, you know, someone like Nicole Hannah Jones is probably much more deliberate in this sort of thing. I think, I think it's easy for me to see what Joe Biden was trying to say there, 
which is just, you know, more just political stuff of just like, listen, Donald Trump does not care about you if you Mm -hmm. are black, right? Like, if you don't understand that, then you, you know, something is going on. Like you, you must not even recognize yourself because it's so obvious to me, right? It's just, it's rhetoric. Right. So I can, I can understand that. But the problem with that statement, in my opinion, even if I can, you know, at least somewhat see what he's saying and kind of go with him in a certain direction with that in terms of, you know, Donald Trump doesn't care about anybody, right? I don't think he cares about anyone but himself. He's a, he's a singular uh, object in the universe as far as he's concerned. Um, that's how it appears to me. But, okay. but the problem is uh, there is an essentializing in that statement, right? Like if you are black, quote unquote black, you must have this idea in your head. And that's a crazy thing to say. Oh, absolutely. Because you're taking an entire group of people, right? This racialized group of people. And we could talk about that concept later, but you're taking this entire group of people and you're saying, this is the opinion that you must hold because you have this color skin, because you have this ancestry, right? Which would be insane to do with literally anything else, right? It's correct. You know, there, so there are historical reasons why we, we, you know, group people this way and why we, we feel that there's a, you know, people kind of fuse together the racialization with a sense of community and a, and like a kind of sense of ethnicity, right? There's a lot of comp- complex stuff going on there. But the problem that I was trying to highlight in the piece is just, this is bullying and it's oh, gross. absolutely. Right? And so in the piece, I pointed out a, a very like, a very stupid and innocuous example, but it, it goes to prove what the issue is. Right. So I was filling out, um, I was filling out a form for a workshop and it asked me my race. And instead of the multiple choice that usually I see, it had a blank field. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote, I just wrote human because that's where my, my head is at. I've, I've been slowly kind of progressing into this direction where I, I really just don't want to identify it with with any race, and I don't want to reify the concepts. And why so, should you? I, and why should you? I mean, I, right. I, I don't think it's relevant. I I am much more the content of character versus color of skin kind of person, like Dr. King said in the, in the sure. past. But, but yeah, yeah, so... Me too, right? But so, you know, I, I, I noted this anecdote on Twitter, and uh, people, you know, people started mocking me for it. Right. Basically. And I quoted two particular people who had funny responses to it, to me, you know, one of them was like, you know, the, the, uh, at the time my, my avatar on Twitter was just an illustration. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't, it wasn't immediately evident. Right. But I mean, if you, if you would have taken two clicks to just look at my profile, there was another photo. My banner photo was a photo of me. You would have seen what I look like. Sure, but, sure. But this this woman just assumed, and she just said, "You know, funny how we still know exactly what race this guy is." Right? Yeah, because the assumption is only a white guy would write that. That's the assumption. And someone else said something similar. A bunch of people said similar things, because it's inconceivable to them, at least, who are both who both of them both of the women that I quoted, by the way, were are quote unquote white. So it's even funnier, right? Sure, but, sure. <laughs> but it's inconceivable to them that anybody racialized as black or brown would ever say such a thing right they couldn't possibly hold this idea in their head so the assumption was perfectly safe as far as they were concerned that i was a white dude right right and they're obviously wrong and that proves my point and and i called it the one thought rule because it's 
if you if you hold just a single thought that is against what they consider you know the norm for your group you are suddenly your your group membership gets called into question you get you get you know your of color card quote unquote revoked right i mean we see that we see it all the time on social media whether i mean and it doesn't matter which platform you're talking about whether it be twitter or facebook or or you know whatever else out there you see these keyboard warriors that make you know they make assumptions they jump to conclusions yeah and right. you know there's there's a lot of times that uh people i don't think that they click into the profile i don't think they look at the history uh, of of what a person's writing i mean a lot of times when i see something or i see somebody make a comment on something if i if i feel the need to comment on something somebody says generally i'm going to pop into their their profile and try mm-hmm. to get a little more of a backstory on who they are what kind of stuff they comment upon things like that before before, before i make a comment because just like racism itself in my opinion is steeped in ignorance a lot of the comments that you see on social media are, are steeped in ignorance. And, and uh, I think that goes sure. solidly to your point. That, that was, yeah. So um, that was the, the impetus for the piece. And the point I was trying to make was twofold. It was kind of propelled by that particular, you know, in group kind of gatekeeping or, you know, one thought ruling, uh, you know, I just said, well, you know, doing this is bullying and it's gross and we shouldn't do it. It's essentializing. It's really pretty disgusting to do. And also, you know what? Uh, I'm done. I'm done with race. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm, I'm not playing this game anymore. I'm refusing. I'm categorically just refusing it. I've become militantly not just anti-racist in the true sense of that word, but anti-race. Like I'm done yeah. with that unicorns for me i'm I'm not i'm not entertaining nonsense anymore i and i like it I, I like that attitude i like that mindset angel because i think that's what we were supposed to be doing all along i mean i yeah. think i think that's the vision uh, of people like dr king uh who who did so much work for that back uh back right. before he was killed but mm-hmm. today we see so much and almost everything. I mean, so quickly in, in whether it be social media or mainstream media or, uh, or just journalism itself, we see that being the go-to thing. And, and that makes it hard for, uh, certainly hard for you in your profession and me as somebody who, I mean, I know your overall goal and I, I, you know, I, I found this out through reading some of your stuff and, and especially on your, you know, your website, angel, angeleduardo.com, you're out to make the world a better place. And, and I, I love getting the opportunity on this podcast to talk to people who are doing just that. And, and yes, I do believe a colorblind or a race blind society is the best place that we can possibly be. But mm-hmm. there are so many people who have that vested interest now in pushing race as a qualifier for everything and mm-hmm. and one of the things and, and that another one of the pieces that you wrote recently or I, I don't know exactly how recently but but uh you talked about critical race theory and i mean that's obviously a hot topic in the news nowadays kids are going back to school 
not only do we have all the masking nonsense and everything that goes along with COVID, but the school board meetings being just madhouses because of critical race theory. And anybody who opposes critical race theory is, is automatically labeled a hater or a white supremacist. And, and the people that are for it are automatically labeled as just the most militant. So talk a little bit about that article, Angel, if you would critical race theory and, and everybody being labeled, whether what, you know, depending on what side of the topic you're on, it, you're automatically labeled as one extreme or the other, but it's not really that way, is it? No, it isn't. Um, I should say that, uh, just backing up a little bit with the race thing, uh, I reject race, but I don't reject, I don't, that doesn't mean ignoring racism, right? That doesn't mean that. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, and, you know, being race blind is not even something that I think makes sense because it's kind of presupposing the existence of a thing and then negating it, right? Where, whereas what I'm, what I'm saying is that it's, it's a nonsense concept. It doesn't exist. We kind of, we conjure it into existence by the way we think and act, you know, like our belief in it is the thing that makes it appear real, even though it isn't. Um, okay. There's, the, there's this book called Racecraft by Barbara and Karen Fields, which I just, I recently finished reading and it was very, it, it profoundly moved me. Um, and it's, it's making this kind of argument. It's equating, it's making us uh, an analogy to witchcraft, right? Witches don't exist, but belief in witches exists. And witchcraft is kind of this, this, this thing we put on the world whenever we can't explain something. And it, it kind of has like a backwards effect of making it seem as though witches are real, you know? So racecraft is a similar thing, right? So when we say, you know, um, this man was shot because of the color of his skin, we're presupposing a difference based on the color of skin existence of this sort of thing, right? So mm -hmm. we're kind of, we're, we're reifying it over and over again when we say, you know, black people need to do X or get, or get Y or, you know, white people need to do X or like we're, we're baking the problem back into the solution. You know, even though we're trying to get out of it, we can't because it's a fish doesn't know it's wet sort of phenomenon. Right. So that's a phenomenal so, mindset. I've never put it, I, I've never heard it put that way. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's tricky because it is it's it tricky is. because, because it, it's, it's so foundational to so much of the way that we think and act and see one another, you know, like even, even in the civil rights movement, you know, they're talking about black people and they're talking about white people and, and they're talking about, you know, races and they're saying these words and they're using these concepts and they're, you know, they're trying to fight against racism. Right. But, mm -hmm. but they're inadvertently making race more and more real and more salient because Absolutely. of the way that they're engaging with the concept itself. Right. And, and, you know, the analogy that I use, um, in, in, you know, because of course the first thing people are going to think or say is, oh, you're going to pretend racism doesn't exist. You're going to pretend that there's no inequality. And, and it's absolutely not that at all. Sure. That's yeah. That's silly. So, but there is a distinction that we need to make sure to make, right. Which is I, I do not believe in race right? Race is nonsense. And I reject it. And I refuse to, to reify it and reinforce it as a concept. But I also acknowledge other people believe in race now, 
and other people believed in race before. And that belief led to behavior that has real life consequences. So even though race isn't real, racism is real. Mm-hmm. And the effects of racism is real. Mm-hmm. Um, they are, they're real. And we need to do something about that. So the analogy that I use is, you know, with God, it's the same thing, right? I don't believe in God, but that doesn't mean that I don't think Christians exist, right? I know Christians exist. I know that belief in God exists. And I know that belief in God has shaped much of the world that I live in. Mm-hmm. And that some of those some of those effects are are still around, and and they may or may not be, you know, things that I'm going to have to deal with on a day to day basis, right? So, but it doesn't mean religion doesn't exist. Religion exists, and mm-hmm. religious people exist, and the effects of that exists, right? So, if you're arguing about abortion, that's going to come into play, right? Because people have religious reasons for voting one way or the other, and things like that. So, the manifestations of a belief are still real, even if the thing that's being believed is nonsense. That's the analogy I use. So, yeah. So, you know, it's tricky. And it's a profound mindset. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely one that I've never encountered. And, Mm. you know, that's one of the reasons I love doing this podcast is I get an opportunity to speak to people that it's not even something I would have guessed as a mindset, but now I know it's out there. And I think it's a, it's, it's very intriguing. I mean, it's, it's, uh, and, you know, to, to getting into the critical race theory thing, you know, it, there is important work to be done assessing our society and our systems for, you know, remnants of bigotry based on the belief in race, right? Double standards based on, you know, uh, presumed ancestry. And it makes sense to to look at ourselves and look at previous behavior and look at the current situation of one group or another and and try to mitigate problems with it right but you know part of the, part of the problem thing part of the problem is that even even you know people people who are kind of you know well versed in this sort of thing they say it all the time race is a social construct right so they're they're acknowledging that it's it was a made up thing right but in their in the rest of their behavior and the rest of their actions they kind of reify it and I'm trying to take it one step further than just simply acknowledging that it is a fiction. I want to treat it as a fiction. So when I refer to it, I refer to it the way I would refer to leprechauns or unicorns or, you know, and, you know, oh, so, so there's a nonsense belief, but people believed in it. And now we have to deal with this problem, right? Um, if I'm speaking about, I've already done it here, but if I'm speaking about racialized uh, categories, racial categories, I try to put them in scare quotes. I try to separate myself at least one step from, from simply just accepting them as reality from simply just saying you're a white person. You know, I will say something to the effect of you are racialized as white or you are quote unquote white, just to, just to push back a little bit in the language so that the concept is, is at least at the forefront of my mind. That I'm, I'm recognizing. Okay, there's a, there's a program here that I have to manipulate, and that's something that not a lot of people do. Maybe they think there's no point. You know, the thing that I'm always told is, well, you don't have to believe in race, but other people are going to make you. They're going to make you black, whether you like it or not. Right? They're going to see you this way, whether mm-hmm. you like it or mm-hmm. not. Right? But I mean, just because I don't have to conform to other people's perception of me. Right, right. If other people think that I'm Arab, which happens sometimes, right? People literally walk up to me and speak Arabic. 
I don't have to conform to that, right? There's literally no, there's no reason for me to want to conform to that. It doesn't, and it, it doesn't matter if, you know, someone is bigoted against Arabs and comes at me with their bigotry against Arabs. That doesn't make me Arab. They're still bigots and what they're doing is still wrong. And I may have to defend myself. I may have to do something about that, right? But none of that means that suddenly I'm Arab and suddenly I have to internalize this and behave that way and accept it and label myself that way. You know, that's that a, a very small good example. You know, that's a small example. It's obviously much more complicated when you're talking about a society that has systematized this sort of thing in the past sure. and, and the remnants of it are still around. But the principle is still the same. Your self-conception doesn't have to conform to nonsense. It doesn't have to. And you can oh, still- that's right. You can still deal with racism in whatever yep. way you, you feel you need to without yep. accepting, you know, the premise. I don't accept it. Right. Um, no, and I, but, I, I love the fact that you don't because, you know, I, I talk about it a lot in this podcast and I, I don't know how much, how familiar you are with, with my work or whatever, but, but I, I talk about it a lot that, that victim mentality and uh, impressing upon kids the idea that just because of their color of their skin, they're automatically a victim is mm -hmm. the biggest problem that I have. I mean, I, I know that there's more to uh, critical race theory than, than that, but the idea that the, the portion of it, and, and I don't really need to get any further into it in my mind than the whole idea that, okay, just because you're a person of color, you're automatically a victim that, you know, just like you were talking about, well, they're going to make you black. You know, whether right. you acknowledge the fact that you're black or not, they're going to make you black right. or because uh, because my child is, quote unquote, like you say, white, they're automatically an oppressor of some kind, you yeah. know, and automatically they're a person of privilege. You know, that's where I think a lot of people get get very hung up on the, the critical race theory and right. and stuff like that. And, and even if that that wasn't the foundation of it, like you talk about in that article and. Yeah. and whatever it has definitely made it a toxic environment to tread and i think that's where you where you talk about you had made the quote or or said the the most frustrating aspect of the culture war is that it isn't real war at all it's a conversation we are currently terrible at having and we will continue to be terrible at it as long as we believe the war is real and our conflict is zero sum if we want to create a fair and just world uh, the way we say we do, we have to recognize that this is an idea that truly dooms us all. Talk about that that quote from that article, Angel. Yeah. And what is the if it's not a war, and 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 I don't know that it's a war or a culture war, but but talk about what led you to write that because I, I think that's a very profound statement in itself. Mm. Well, thank you. It's something that I think about a lot, and it's part of my overall kind of mission, I guess you can call it, you know, it's, it's what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to do is kind of say, mom, dad, stop fighting. Right. I'm kind right. of trying to do that thing. Um, because of what I see is people failing to communicate with each other because they are being dishonest or refusing to extend compassion to the other, to understand where the other person is coming from. Um, and the CRT is just the latest manifestation of this, right? So it's very complicated. There's a lot going on, right? CRT is a thing that exists. Critical race theory is a thing that exists. It's 
fairly obscure legal scholarship, right? People study it in law school, mostly. And, you know, Derek Bell and Kimberly Crenshaw and, you know, Richard Delgado and these sorts of people, right, in the in the 70s and 80s. And it's ostensibly, it's meant to, you know, kind of assess our systems and seek out white supremacy and, you know, have a critical lens on our systems and structures and our society and how how white supremacy however they want to define that term right but you know how that sort of thing manifests itself right but the thing is you know it doesn't exist just in that little bubble anymore it kind of seeped out into other areas and it it informs the the mindsets and the ideologies and the ideas of many 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 people now different people with different agendas and different ideas and different things that they're trying to do. Um, and so I kind of, I make the analogy of kind of like, you know, music television became MTV and it slowly had less and less music in it, right? Just turned into like reality shows and game shows and whatever. Critical race theory has become CRT and it has less and less of that scholarship in it, right? There's still, there's still a through line. There's still a connection there because you can trace the, a lot of this stuff back, right? And a lot of the people who are doing many of the things that people find alarming are actively, you know, referring back to these things, whether they're misinterpreting them or not, there's a connection there, right? So they're, they're, they're going back and they're saying this, I'm, I'm trying to do this work and it's based on some of this stuff, or at least it's based on their understanding of it. So th there's a lot of complication there, right? But the conversation around it is even more disastrous because mm -hmm. There's dishonesty on all sides of it, right? So I get accused of, of fence sitting and both sides in all the time. I don't mm -hmm. care, right? I'm just trying to make sense here. Mm -hmm. And if I see dishonesty, I don't care where it's coming from. I don't have a tribe. I don't have a side, right? I don't care. You can kick me out if you want. I don't care. <laughs> um, you know, I, all I want is to make sense. And the way I see it, you know, as I mentioned in the other piece, you know, the best part about, about not being in anybody's club or not being in any tribe is that now everybody's in mine. Right, because everyone belongs to me, I belong to them. They're all my brothers and sisters, and I care about all of them. Yeah. So I can disagree, I can fight you, I can argue, I can tell you you're dead wrong, I can think you're crazy, I can think you're dangerous, but you're still my brother, and I still want to do something and try to fix this and take care of you and make this work. A better and more civil discourse. I, I mean, yeah. that's, that's right. So, so the the CRT thing, you know, on one side there are people who are genuinely trying to fix what they see as a problem in the world. You know, this rampant, despicable racism, this rampant oppression of groups of people, and they want to fix those things. The way that that desire manifests sometimes is crazy. Sometimes it's it's misguided, right? But I understand that the impetus is this is what I'm trying to do. Now, sometimes those things get dangerous because there are, you know, once by any means necessary, become once that's on the table, many, many terrible things can happen, right? Mm -hmm. And Absolutely. So, so, you know, I think in the piece I said, you know, something to the effect of what, what we're doing by, by communicating so poorly with one another is we are creating two completely fervent and idiotic sides that are just opposing one, one, one another forever. And, and we're not going to get anywhere. It's just a deadlock. It's a complete deadlock of discourse. And what we need is to stop, be honest, be humble, ask questions, try to understand mm -hmm. and connect, right? So I can try to connect with somebody who has these crazy ideas, 
right? And I don't have to agree with the ideas, but I can say, look, I understand what you're, you're aiming for. I understand that you want justice. I understand that you want to root out what you call white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Now, I have some, some questions and I have some issues. Can we please dig down and, and work this out? Because I'm sure that for the most part, we're on the same side. What we're trying to do is build a world that is more just and more fair and where people can flourish. That's, that's what most people most of the time are actually aiming for. That's why they care about anything at all. Some sure. people have twisted ways of, of kind of manifesting those desires, right? And mm-hmm. you have to correct those things. But that's what's going on. Everyone has this fundamental human desire to feel safe, to feel uh, you know, secure, successful, and satisfied, right? These are things yep, that we want. Yep. So now we're getting into another piece that I wrote called, about Starman. And that's what it is. It's just trying to connect with the other side and connect with their humanity and try to understand where they're coming from, right? So if yeah. I disagree with you about abortion, right? If I just call you a monster, if I just call you, you know, whether, whether if, you're, if you're against it, it's because you uh, want to control women's bodies and you're just this oppressive misogynist, right? Yeah. Or if you're for it, you are a murderer of babies, right? right. That's not going to get us anywhere. No, you That's dive into the thing. dive into the realm of of toxic rhetoric, rhetoric and hyperbole, and right. and then yeah, automatically, automatically, you're just shutting shutting the other person down. Now they aren't yeah. even listening to what you're saying; they're just thinking about what they're going to say next. Exactly, and, uh, and and we're we're making monsters of one another, right? Oh yeah, and yeah. The thing that happens when you do that, you know. It's fine to kill monsters. That's sure, the thing. Sure. Right? You can destroy a monster. No one's going to say anything. Hey, I killed that monster. Oh, good. Great. I'm glad we got rid of that monster. Right? Right. That human oh. being, I murdered that human being. That's a little tougher, right? It's a different it's a different story. It's a different animal altogether. Yeah. You know, that's one of the reasons and I I believe I believe you've been involved with or I, I know at some point cuz I saw a video with the two of you together. Uh, Monica Guzman uh, from Braver uh, Angels. One of the uh, you're familiar with the Braver Angels organization, I'm sure. Yes. Um, it's one of the reasons I became involved with them is is because they are looking for that more civil discourse. You know, mm-hmm. how do we have that conversation in a civil way? You know, without demonizing the other side. You know, because yeah, you're right. Once it go, once it comes down to the toxic rhetoric, the demonization, the the you know, making that that other side a monster. Yeah, who who's gonna who's gonna have a conversation with a monster? You know, it, we're not we're not there to listen to monsters. We're there to kill monsters. Exactly. And, and I like the way that that you put that, Angel. Mm-hmm. So you've had a you, you've brought a lot to the table today, and I and I love I love the I love that mindset that uh, you know it, it goes a lot a long way to the the concept that one of my favorite talk show hosts he always talks about clarity over agreement. You know, we don't necessarily have to agree on everything, but if we can make our point clearly and intelligently and maybe teach somebody on the other side a little bit about us, we can start to see each other on that human being level again. Yeah. Instead of seeing each other as monsters. You and I having this conversation today, I'm fairly certain that on political grounds, we probably don't agree on a whole lot. On human grounds, I think we agree on a whole lot. Yeah. You know? I can tell that you're a genuinely good person, a great hearted person, you know, but you and I, we're not going to agree on religion. We're probably not going to re- agree on politics, but as a human being, right. You know, and, and I don't care about your political leaning in having this conversation. I agree. Or, and, and I, 
I contacted you because I could genuinely tell by your writing and your website, which your website is awesome, by the way. I, I really dig <laughs> your, you. your music uh, and the, uh, well, we can talk about that in a minute, but the fact that you're a person out there, a human being that's trying to better the world. Yeah. That's all I needed to know to want you on the podcast. Uh-huh. You know, we're all about bettering the world one attitude at a time because yeah. every individual is responsible for making their life better and then making the world better in turn. Right. I can tell that you're doing that and it's awesome. Well, thank you. I would love for more people to read your stuff and, and get an opportunity to, you know, go to your media page and, and check out some of the videos, you know, where, where you've interacted with, with others because it's incredibly important stuff. Like I said, it's a profound thought process that you have. Like I said, it, it's very, very cool. And I, and I'm digging it. Let's talk. Let's, it. let's just jump off that for, for a minute. I want to talk about your website a little bit. So you're a photographer, you're a musician, uh, you're a writer. Hell, I'd, I'd put you in the class of a philosopher in some in some ways. But talk <laughs> a little bit about that. Who might be mad about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, talk a little bit about that progressive funk uh, music you've got on 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 your page. Yeah, I, I I didn't listen to a lot of it, but uh, the stuff I did listen to, I was really digging. And uh, just tell me a little bit about you know Angel Eduardo and and your music. Yeah. Uh, well, that band has been defunct for a few years now, but it, it was a it was a seven piece kind of mutant of you know kind of Stevie Wonder meets Led Zeppelin kind of thing. Uh, we were we had a horn section, and it was it was meant to be you know ostensibly the idea was a funk band, but of course we're going to start throwing in all the other stuff that we like. We like heavy metal and rock and roll music, and we love you know dance music and all kinds of stuff. So it, it, it has a wide sort of range of sounds and we kind of fuse it all together and there's odd meters, you know, like instead of a song being in, in four, you know, one, two, three, four, it's, it's in seven or nine. Sometimes it's in five and then seven and then nine, you know, um, it was all kind of crazy experimental, you know, very heavily influenced by seventies prog rock and Stevie wonder and all that sort of stuff. Um, we were called blue food. Um, based on that George Carlin bit about how there's no blue food and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know don't say blueberries because they're purple. Um, sure, that's the whole the bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it was it was a lot of fun. It was it was a a beautiful band, and we had this amazing sound that I, I was so proud of and so happy with, and it was so much fun to play out. But eventually, it just became too unwieldy. It was you know herding cats with with seven people. It was it was a difficult process. Um, and eventually, you know, it didn't work out, but we have, we have some, some music that I'm really proud of. It's on the website there and you can check it out. And I'm working on, uh, I'm in another band right now and we're working on some other stuff and, you know, eventually I'll have some solo material out at some point. I keep putting it off, but eventually yeah. I will record some solo material. That's more, um, it's very important to me for all my projects to sound different. I, I one of my pet peeves is, is when, a side project or solo project of some band or artist sounds just like the other one. Mm-hmm. Like, well, what was the point then? You know, <laughs> you just wanted the paycheck to not be split. Like, I don't understand. So, um, all my stuff sounds really, really different. This new band is a totally different animal. Um, and my solo stuff is also a totally different thing. It's much more singer songwriter, Jeff Buckley kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's great. People tell me, people ask me all the time about, 
you know, what my process is like between writing and photography and music and all that stuff. And I always tell them it's a, it's the same process because it's all storytelling, right? A song is a story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, a sculpture is a story. A photograph is a story. I'm trying to guide you through an experience one way or the other. And it's all about presentation. It's all about how am I laying it out for you? It's, you know, it's all that beautiful stuff. So I'm, I'm working it in different ways, but it's a similar kind of approach. Well, it's been a great pleasure, man. I, I, I like I said, I getting to getting to know you a little bit through your website and then, uh, and then obviously having the opportunity to speak with you, Angel has been a, been a real pleasure for me. And, you know, I, I just, I dig what you're doing. Well, thank you I, like I said, I, I encourage everybody to check out your site and, and the and the works that you're doing, whether it be your photography, your music, or uh, you know, most of all your your writing, because uh, I think there's a lot of important uh, a lot of important things going on in your articles, and uh, they really need to check them out. So obviously, Angel and Angel Eduardo dot com, be able to catch that at the show notes. And uh, um, yeah, anything else that that you want to leave the the DTH listeners with, Angel? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I guess just for clarification, or at least just for more pointed, you know, a kind of more pointed idea, my whole approach is this. And I think that it would benefit everybody if we all adopted this, you know, can you articulate your opponent's position in a way that they would agree with? Right. Well, so when you're done saying it, can you get them to say, yes, that's exactly what I mean? Or better yet, can you get them to say, you know what, that's even better than the way that I put it, right? And can you, beyond that, can you connect with the values or the belief systems, the fundamental values, the human desires, the goals that are undergirding that person's point of view, right? Like, why do they care about this? Why does this matter to them? What are, what larger purpose is, is this point of view serving can you connect with that if you can you're far further along on the road to persuasion and connection and understanding and learning for yourself because you know you're not always right nobody's always right you might be wrong you got to go in curious you got to go in wondering okay let me try to understand this other person because i might be missing something Uh or Uh at the very least let me try to understand them so that I can understand why people like this are wrong, right? So mm-hmm. either way, but if you can do that, you're in good shape. If you can't do that, the likelihood that you're misunderstanding is extremely high. Yep. And the likelihood of persuading them or effectively opposing them is extremely low. So either way, it is to your benefit to attempt to do this and it's that's steel manning and then star manning it's try your best to actually understand and internalize their position you don't have to agree you just have to understand it you have to be able to show the math right and then connect with the humanity of it why does this human being care about this why does this human being think this way what is informing this idea and then you're no longer talking to a monster you are now speaking to a human being and compassion will just be inevitable at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Just like Stephen Covey says, seek first to understand, then to be understood. So you, exactly. uh, you put it, uh, you put it very well. I don't think anybody could argue with that point unless they don't want to understand. <laughs> <laughs> so very good angel. 
I, I very much appreciate your time and thank you for joining the Dear Hate the Hate podcast. And and I think there was a lot of good in here that uh, a lot of people get a lot out of. So keep uh, keep bettering the world the way that you are and uh, hope to talk to you again, man. I am doing my best. Thank you very much. Friends, didn't I tell you that Angel was a deep thinker? There was so much good, so much good in this conversation that it's hard to hard to summarize it in any better way than, than he did right there at the end. Being able to understand and internalize your opponent's position, making sure that you're able to articulate their part of the conversation or their part of the debate so that you're no longer talking to a monster. You're talking to another human being, and then maybe a real conversation can happen. We've talked about it on this podcast several times before. We cannot just continue to combat each other with hyperbole and rhetoric and just spreading that hate. We have to get back to a point of civil discourse. People like Angel Eduardo are doing incredible things with their works. You know, his writings are so important. And, and to check out some of those articles that he and, and I talked about in this episode, you can check out our show notes. There'll be links to those articles. So check out all of Angel's work, his photography, his music, his writings at his website, angeleduardo.com. I promise you won't be disappointed. Share this episode with your friends. I think there's a lot of important info that came out of this and uh, a lot of good being done by Angel. So with that, I'm going to say, again, what have you done today to make your life a better life? What have you done today to make the world a better place? Spread the word. There's a lot of good coming out of this podcast, and there's a lot of ways to make your life better. Our guests are doing just that. So get out there, be kind to one another, be grateful for everything that you've got, and remember, it's up to you to make each and every day the day that you want it to be. If you've got a question for me, email me, wilk at wilksworld.com. Share our episodes with your friends. We can be found on most social media platforms and most places where you get your audio I'm going to back on out of here. We'll catch you next week.